You are listening to Green Minds, a podcast of the Southeast Sustainability Directors Network, and I'm Catherine Mercier-Baggett. In a recent episode, my co-host Laurel Creech featured food waste awareness and mitigation. This time, we look into local networks of food production and distribution. Hunger is a widespread challenge in the United States and reflects patterns of inequality, and the problem is not new. But what is innovative is the involvement of cities and counties in leveraging the existing resources to build additional capacity, connecting people and organizations, and promoting local food resilience and security. In this episode, we speak with two passionate professionals who are managing such efforts. We will speak with Mariah Gandhi, Food Resilience Program Manager with the City of Winston-Salem in North Carolina. But we will start off with Jay Olu Baiwu, who is the Urban Agriculture Director in the Mayor's Office of Resilience with the City of Atlanta in Georgia. Hi, Jay Olu. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. If you don't mind starting off by just telling about yourself and also your current position with the city of Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, greetings. It's great to be here today and with you. Uh, my name is Jay Olu Baiwu. I am the Urban Agriculture Director for the city of Atlanta. I've been in this position, uh, in this role for two years in November of this year, 2022. And I've been in urban agriculture and food systems work for a little over a decade, predominantly or primarily in the uh, Atlanta metro area. I am a Nigerian British American uh, man. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and his. As I said, I've been in this space for a little over a decade. I've worked on farms directly as farm manager, sales manager. I've also uh, worked for nonprofit organizations and also done some entrepreneurship things as well. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit about my background. Where does that passion for food comes from? I used to be a business consultant. And at some point in time, I decided to go to bartending school instead of uh, some other kind of graduate studies. I worked in restaurant and hospitality, front of the house, so bartending, managing, serving restaurants. But I was always really cool with the chefs and um, learning how they did, created their ideas and their plates and presentations. Um, most of the restaurants I worked in were farm to table and or fine dining or some kind of combination. And in a nutshell, I was selling, let's say, $15 heirloom tomato salads. But then when I would go home to where I lived, I was not able to get heirloom tomatoes to recreate that same salad. So what I thought about at that time was, um, you know, I need to learn how to grow my own food. And then that kind of led to the journey uh, that have been on for over a decade now. So initially it started off as, I guess, an access thing and a flavor thing. I, I wanted that to recreate that flavor before it became a uh, equity and justice and sovereignty thing for me. Ongoing learning student all the whole time. I love that story. And Eliza, specifically, what does urban agriculture look like? Is it, is it a network? Is it mostly people who are isolated? How, how is it working? Yeah, it's a combination of all of those things. So I'll start by sharing the, our mission. So at the city of Atlanta, uh, we have a urban agriculture and food systems team. One of the more popular brands that we have is Aglanta. So that's A-G-L-A-N-T-A. And from that, we've had Aglanta Grows a Lot, Aglanta Eats, Aglanta Grown, several other uh, programs and ideas. Our mission is to cultivate a more resilient, equitable, inclusive, just, and accessible food system for Atlanta. There was a 
Uh, a couple of administrations ago, there was a goal of 85% uh, of Atlanta residents being within a half a mile of fresh, affordable food by 2022. So that's something we've used as a guiding, um, as a guidestone for a while. And I mean, what it looks like is is a lot of things. It's community and neighborhood farms, it's gardens, it's food forests, it's healthy food stores, sometimes also referred to as healthy corner stores, We've got rain gardens, pollinated gardens, compost and carbon collection systems, controlled environment growing um, like uh, hydroponics and aquaponics. And then also, you know, all of the people that it takes to do those things. So those kind of advisory groups, steering committees, neighborhood groups, as well as decentralized organizations as well, and individuals as well. So it's a, it's a broad range of uh, people. It sounds very organic in the sense that it's not a structure that was created by the city. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, you know, I think, um, you know, there's a saying that uh, there's no culture without agriculture. So agriculture has existed from the beginning of time before the kind of structures of government, municipalities and things of that nature. You know, when we think about the um, history of, of our country, the United States of America here and agriculture, I mean, of course, there's some beautiful practices going back to indigenous practices and, and indigenous, you know, cultures. And then, of course, there's the the ugly realities of um, things like slavery and things of that nature, where you know agriculture became that kind of uh, system. So um, what we're doing now, I mean, is you know reclaiming you know what it is and what it means to people individually as well as culturally, right? Where it's not just about fitting in a particular type of system where you might be growing food for, you know, revenue sake. It's really more about the sharing of food, the producing of food, the resilience, um, the equity, um, the access, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I, I would say that it has organic roots. And then what places like Atlanta and other cities have been able to do also is, you know, figure out ways that we can tap into that organic movement and also create some more pathways for people to be able to do it, um, quote unquote, legally, if that's something that needs to happen, you know, do a ministry. So it sounds like your role is one of of a convener of getting everybody together. I, am I seeing that right? Yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah, I remember the days in some of my other places that I've worked in along this kind of journey I've had where I'd be outside, you know, actually hands in the soil, you know, planting things, growing things, setting up at farmers markets, making restaurant deliveries, etc. You know, I still I still value and miss those uh, moments. I don't get to do them as much as I used to. Um, now, though, part of the role that I see for myself, as well as us as the city, is connecting with those folks who are growing the food, connecting the people who are selling the food, connecting with the, the food pantries, the donation models, all of that. Finding out what they need as far as from a support standpoint, um, whether that's sometimes it's just marketing, outreach support. Sometimes it's they'd like to come and speak to somebody at the city or, you know, be involved in a neighborhood meeting and also figuring out what are the what we kind of call the the five p's which are policies permits plans programs and partnerships and figuring out how can the city be of best service constituents are residents businesses and visitors um, just figuring out the ways that we can be of best service and figuring out if there are some things that are uh, making it difficult for folks to participate in the food system and urban agriculture and see how we can remove those barriers. Yeah, it's convener, it's part convener, it's part education, awareness, branding, marketing. We do have some programs that we do ourselves as well, but a lot of it is definitely collaborative and based on partnerships. On a daily basis, I imagine that you're, you're working with nonprofits. 
yeah, nonprofit organizations are definitely a key part of the equation. And I would say, though, that it's interesting, and one of the things that we are at the city of Atlanta doing, and I know this is across the nation as well, is also making sure that people realize that there are also for-profit organizations, social enterprises, cooperatives, et cetera, that are a key part of this movement on, on every piece of the food system, if you will. So definitely supporting nonprofits and also moving away from the idea that one must be a nonprofit to, to be a part of this or to do good work, right? Or to do something good for the community. I think in the past, quite frankly, that sometimes that has been a barrier for some organizations, if you think about it from an equity standpoint, to be able to come into the space because to establish a nonprofit or to do that, that takes a whole nother level of um, organizing, funding, a board, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes that isn't necessarily the most effective way for a particular community that wants to move forward. So nonprofits, yes, and also other partners, for sure. Right, we do have a few farms in Atlanta that for profit. I find absolutely fascinating. You would never think that in Atlanta, we have the room to grow our own fruits and vegetables. Yeah, it's true, it's true. The city of Atlanta has um, over 20 farms that we know of. Uh, as in that we know their address, we know that we can go there, we know the farmer or the team of farmers. So yeah, over 20 of those. You know, we definitely suspect that there are more than that. There are some people who have land that are growing food uh, in their backyards, front yards, side yards, sort of spaces like that. There are also over 20 community gardens that are located within City of Atlanta Parks. Uh, there are some other community gardens that are on, again, private land. And yeah, and then other new models as well that are that are popping up, including the controlled environmental growing kind of a movement where you have people using spaces that are indoor inside of garages, warehouses, or in greenhouses and doing that kind of hydroponic, aquaponic growing as well. So uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot. For City of Atlanta, as far as our municipal space, we have about 11.1 acres in our Atlanta Grows A Lot program. I think by the time you add on other city-owned sites that have agriculture on them, we're probably over 20 acres. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's pretty special. And you also touched on something that um, I think is really, really important as far as even with those quarter-acre lots or half-acre lots and larger, what, what can you do if you're interested, right, in growing food? So one of my personal sayings is know your farmer, grow some food. Not necessarily that everybody's going to become a farmer and everybody's going to grow everything that they eat. But if I'm growing tomatoes and you're growing lettuce and somebody else is growing cucumbers and we're all neighbors, you know, now we're putting together a salad, right? Um, and of course, even with like apartment buildings, condo buildings, uh, any kind of building, really, if you have a balcony, you can do herbs, things of that nature. And of course, flowers, because the pollinators are extremely important as well. So Atlanta is a city in the forest, right? So we want to make sure that part of that story is also and reality is also about food production. So what are the, the greatest challenges that you are seeing uh, with implementing and developing all the programs? Yeah, I think it's, um, I, would, I would kind of paraphrase it as getting on the agenda. When it comes to food systems and urban agriculture, maybe even in particular, making getting it to a place where people see the connection and the correlation to the park system making sure people see the connection and correlation to uh crime uh to housing to other things of that nature so we you can think of those hierarchy of needs as like food clothing and shelter so food is definitely one of those those things 
And I think when we look at this COVID reality we've been in for um, over two years now, many of us, regardless of where we lived, you know, whatever side of town, et cetera, we all went to the grocery store at least one time and there was nothing there, right? So it became very stark for even the most affluent of people where they said, wow, we can't get food either. We could look at the policies, we can look at the way things have been done in the past and see how like some neighborhoods and communities have, you know, five different grocery stores where some have zero. So the challenge is getting on the agenda, letting people know about the uh, importance of the work, uh, letting folks know that it's not just about um, not only the production of food, but also the, the aggregation and the value of products, the distribution where people become more familiar with that on the retail side, but what are other models? And then going all the way back to the beginning, if you will, of kind of that organic, right? So the composting, getting those nutrients back into the soil, so that we can grow more food and also so we can just combat climate change as well, you know, minimizing heat islands, reducing heat islands, et cetera. So the more and more that we have conversations like this and the more and more we're able to kind of do our town hall meetings and our publications and our you know, some of our events and programming as well, the easier it is to start getting on the agenda of other partner organizations where they see the correlation between like, oh, wow, the communities that have the lowest rates of asthma are also the communities that have the highest access to food. So how are the ways that we can have these different models of food um, where we can say that it's not just dependent on one thing like a super center or a grocery store. How can we uplift farmers and farms and gardens um, and fresh food that's local that also will reduce kind of the greenhouse gas emission and connect it all that way? Because usually if you look at those communities that have some of those healthy uh, indicators as far as population, they also have access to green space and they also have uh, the opportunity to do more urban agriculture and local produce stuff. Right. Atlanta has a, a good bit of experience in urban ag. What would be your, your recommendation or if you have any tips to share with other jurisdictions that are just starting to think about food resilience? Remove barriers uh, for growers to be able to sell produce. I use the term growers because um, one may grow food does not necessarily make you a farmer, right? Either way, if you want to grow food at your house, if you want to grow food in a park, if you want to grow food at a faith-based organization or institution, if you want to be able to utilize public right-of-ways or utility right-of-ways to be able to grow things, um, what are the ways that we can reduce those barriers, remove those barriers, quite frankly, um, so people can grow food where they are, where they would like to be? Definitely data is extremely important, but also not just data, making sure that that data has uh, race um, factors, ethnicity, age, neighborhood, other demographics. We want to make sure that we're not only talking about the successes, but also being able to identify the gaps, able to identify the opportunities for improvement. And really, if we're going to get to true equity, we have to really have that kind of analysis there. You got to pay people for their time, period. So people who grow food, many of them are doing it out of passion um, and, and love and commitment. They're not many, most people are not saying I want to grow food so I can become a millionaire. Um, there are some that exist, of course, but not most. When we're having these kind of convenings where we're bringing these food experts or community members together to hear input on how they like to do it, figure out ways that those folks can be compensated, uh, whether through direct payments, incentives, et cetera, but paying people for their time and also making sure that in that compensation, we're looking at things like childcare. Again, making sure that it's equitable so that when we have these evening meetings, someone can be able to pay for childcare or at least maybe childcare be at the meeting site while they're in those meetings. That's ways that you can really get people 
activated. And then I will say two more things, um, advocate for grower organizations to receive unrestricted funds. We as a city, we have some programs where we're able to share resources. A lot of that does happen through partner organizations, whether nonprofits or other kind of foundations, but really pushing the idea that the people who really want to grow food and are doing this, they generally know what they need. So funding shouldn't be attached to just programs. It really is about capacity building. And again, when we think about it from an equity standpoint, largely people of the global majority, BIPOC-led organizations are also the ones that tend to be less financially funded, resource, et cetera. So fund those organizations directly and with unrestricted funds. And then last but not least, create a plan. That's one of the things we're excited about in the city of Atlanta. We'll be creating a urban agriculture and food systems plan. Easiest way I can describe it is um, same way we have a transportation plan or a housing plan, parks plan. We wanna do the same thing for urban agriculture and food systems. So there are other cities that are doing this right now, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, colleague Ash Richards, Laha, as well as others in New Haven, Connecticut. So yeah, there, there are several others throughout the country. And we all get together on the U.S. Council of Mayors Food Policy Group. It is great to have a decentralized system because uh, everybody should have the opportunity to figure out what is best for them, them individually, family, as well as community. And at the same time, how can we create a framework and a system so that if you're new to the city or if you've been here for 20 years, you know where you can fit in and what the opportunities are to explore how you can get involved with food. I can tell that you really love what you're doing. Before we conclude our conversation, I would like you to talk about the, the Browns Meal Food Forest. Mm -hmm. How is that project working out? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked about it. It's, it's definitely one of our um, unique projects. The Urban Food Forest at Browns Mill is uh, a 7.1 acre site. It's located in Southeast Atlanta off of uh, Browns Mill Road, as well as East Rhinehill Road. The, the history of that site is that was a, uh, owned by a family, the Morgan family. And at one point they had it as a farm. Um, and the, the way the story goes that they would grow food and they would actually hang up bags of food on the fence line and they'll just get it directly to neighbors. So there's this agricultural past that's there. Um, and that's also important in this work is making sure that we are acknowledging, uplifting, and respecting history and those, um, those uh, indigenous practices and things that existed before we do all the new things, right? At some point in time, we partnered with the uh, Conservation Fund, other organizations as well, the U.S. Park Service, Forestry uh, Service, uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture. We established it as a, uh, the food forest at Browns Mill. In 2019, it became a city of Atlanta park. So it is a public park that is accessible to anybody to come. So you don't, you don't have to make an appointment or anything like that. Currently, we're working with about five community organizations that are uh, nonprofits and community organizations that really manage the site. So this ranges from Celestial Care Solutions, which works in the permaculture orchard and herb area, Trees Atlanta, uh, or leads the agroforestry work there. There's a community garden group, uh, the Friends of the Food Forest, which is a Friends of group that works with eight different surrounding neighborhoods and residents directly with the food forest. And then of course, our UAFS team, which is uh, the Mayor's Office of Resilience, as well as Department of City Planning. So we meet bi-weekly and uh, yeah, we work on all kinds of programming, grow and learn uh, educational series, tours, volunteer opportunities, education and awareness for harvesting different kinds of uh, food that's growing there. 
Uh, and again, you can also just walk through and, and do it as a part. Project is definitely coming along well. I would say it's been a um, probably a five, six year project. We anticipate that it'll take 10 years before it's, you know, reaches close to its full potential. And then it'll keep going and keep going because part of the food forest model is creating a system that requires less uh, human inputs and actually is working with nature and nature is actually providing um, more there. So that's definitely um, one that's really unique for us. We also have a farm stand ordinance that we're really proud of passed that in 2021. So this gives farmers who are growing on residential lots the opportunity to sell their produce right there on site. So we're really excited about that. We're Like I said, we're working on that urban ag and food systems plan uh, that'll hopefully kick off at the end of this year. So yeah, those are some things that are unique and happening in uh, Atlanta. The food force of Browns Mill is the largest food for public food force in the country. You mentioned uh, an organization earlier when we got on the call, uh, West Atlanta Watershed Alliance. We're going to be working with them on establishing uh, the second food forest for the city of Atlanta, uh, which will be even larger than the current one. So we're excited about that work, too. I thank you so much for your time and sharing your passion today. You will be welcome anytime. Oh, good stuff. Give thanks. I appreciate this. And um, I think this podcast is excellent. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from some of the other colleagues throughout the country. And uh, yeah, I hope we can continue the conversation and definitely get you and others uh, to come out and see us. Um, and folks can learn more about what we're working on at aglanta.org. So that's A-G-L-A-N-T-A dot O-R-G, aglanta.org. And I appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Hi, Mariah. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation to be on the podcast. If you don't mind starting off by introducing yourself and talking about your current position, please. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Mariah Gendy, and I am the Food Resilience Program Manager with the City of Winston-Salem. My position um, lives in our sustainability department. A little bit about me, I'm actually a Winston-Salem native, so I've grown up in North Carolina my whole life, and I've always been just so passionate about food. Starting in college, I did a lot of food work and worked with our campus garden and had multiple internships at farmers markets. And I just found how interconnected it was with community and with people. And that sort of drew me in and showed me a lot of love. And so as a young adult emerging and thinking about what my career wanted to be, I always knew I wanted it to still stay connected to food and stay connected to my community. So I definitely have had a number of positions before I landed here with the city. I worked with a couple of nonprofits and I worked with a lot of small farmers. And ultimately coming here to the city, I find my job really exciting because what I am able to do in that role is to sort of connect all the dots between local people working on food and our municipality. And so how can government sort of meet the needs of the people and address disparities in our food system as well? And so those are some of the big questions I'm trying to answer within my role. That's a beautiful way to give back to your hometown. I feel I feel very lucky and it, in a lot of ways there was a it was a long road to get here but I think it, it goes to show that sticking with the area you love eventually it counts for some. Right. Winston-Salem has a campaign called the Think Orange Food Resilience Campaign. <laughs> what can you tell us about that? So that um, campaign sort of kicked off with my predecessor, and it was a large grant that they received from the National League of Cities, and kind of timely, 
that money arrived in 2019. And so what we know in 2020 with COVID, there became a lot of disparities around food. And so the, the Think Orange campaign was always intentionally designed to address food disparities. And then with COVID coming, it was ever it was ever more present that that, that funding was really important to sort of help connect resources into the community. And so the th- reality of what Think Orange was able to do was to invest a lot in um, federal feeding programs, like school lunches, school breakfast program, breakfast in the classroom, and then summer feeding programs as well, where certified camps and other things that primarily work with children who are considered low income or at risk are, are still eligible to get that kind of food assistance. And so the Think Orange campaign was really helping to connect the dots. And it also really helped fund nonprofits in Winston-Salem as well that were working in those areas. One nonprofit, for example, is the Forsyth Backpack Program. And so they provide lunches and meals to children in Forsyth County through the school system. So they work with schools. They're actually providing meals on the weekends when kids are not in school to get those meals. It was a pretty broad campaign. There were a lot of examples of how that funding sort of went to support the community. But it is, in essence, the city's attempt to sort of address food disparity by trying to create better access to these programs that are targeted to helping folks that are in need of that assistance. And then I think one of the biggest innovative things that came out of the Think Orange was the development of my position. My title is Food Resilience Program Manager, like I said, and it's not something that you see in a lot of local governments having a, a someone dedicated to working on food programming. And so that was, I think, a huge outcome. Although the funding for the Think Orange campaign, it like all grants, it, it gets spent. The, the outcome of developing a position to continue that work in the long term, I think, is also a really innovative thing that came out of um, the success of the Think Orange program. What's the role of the city and the campaign now that you have a program that that seems to be quite developed at this point. The city continues to try and look for ways to address food insecurity, both through policy and programming. And so within my role, um, I get to work on a couple of different projects. One example is I work with our Urban Food Policy Council. Our Urban Food Policy Council is a group of community members who apply and are appointed by our city council and they're sort of an advisory board. So they come and they can offer insight and policy recommendations to address disparities within the community. So there, that is a real concrete way where pub, public access to the government is really crucial to, for developing meaningful policy and meaningful programs. In addition to that, I work on the Liberty Street Urban Farmers Market. That is a farmers market sort of spearheaded by initially the Urban Food Policy Council, but now the city maintains and runs this program yearly. And it's a farmer's market specifically designed to be within a food desert of Winston-Salem. Winston-Salem actually has 21 food deserts. And so while this is not necessarily like a comprehensive solution, it is a really concrete way where on a weekly basis in the summer, we're able to help address food disparity by creating a food access point within within our community. Um, And so those are just two programs that really have some connection to people in our community and to addressing food insecurity issues. Do you have uh, some kind of guiding document or is everything discussed and decided by the Urban Food Policy Council as it comes up? The Urban Food Policy Council does have um, a set of bylaws and a, you know, a mission statement. And so they can work on a series 
a set of issues. Um, but within that, it's pretty broad. So they can certainly have the freedom to make recommendations as they see. And while my position does work like primarily with them, and I certainly would like to see the the goals of the council fulfilled and to make meaningful strides in their in the areas of their recommendation. I definitely also have the ability to work on programs outside of the the advisory ability of the Urban Food Policy Council. And so some of the things I work on are very much connected to them. And some of the things I work on are really coming from the city of Winston-Salem and what they see their priorities and what our city council would like to really address as well. So it's sort of a, a hybrid of ways of how programs can sort of develop. What do you feel are the biggest implementation challenges for all of those ideas and all those programs that you are carrying out? I think a large challenge is when people from our community want to work with government, there are a lot of barriers and hurdles that government will always go through before they can implement a program. And a lot of what I see my role doing in sort of the value of someone in my position is to help bridge some of those gaps. Our council can come up with all sorts of ideas and they can have many recommendations, but how can they really concretely get those recommendations to the folks that work on our city council? I am sort of hoping to provide support and insight to government procedure. A benefit of having someone in my role, but continuously also a struggle because people who work who live in our community, they're not government workers. And so it can be frustrating for anyone to sort of see the tides of government move and flow at its own rate. And so that part of my role is to work within those bounds and to help support them. That's beneficial for both the community and for the government. I would imagine that you work most oftentimes with other organizations. Yes, yeah, I absolutely do. I think that there's a lot of, there are a lot of programs within Winston-Salem and Forsyth County, where, where we're also based, that are certainly designed to address food insecurity. I mentioned one earlier, which is Forsyth Backpack. I think that these public-private partnerships are pretty crucial to helping move this work forward. I certainly have the opportunity to continue to support them in my role as well, um, whether that's through giving informational presentations or helping them move forward on some of their programmings by creating connections to members of our government or to other people in the community. I am sort of a funnel for a lot of the work that is happening in Forsyth County. And these programs are robust and they have their own missions outside of what the government is doing, but to connect it to the public sector, I think is really trying to create better access for people across the community. And so that's a big piece of what I'm able to focus on in my role. You've been in that role for probably long enough that you have learned valuable lessons. Is there any wise word you would like to share with cities and counties that are just started or are thinking about getting into food resilience? I think I've been in my role long enough to certainly have learned some lessons. I will say I think I have a long way to go still. Like I touched on earlier, this field is really emerging in terms of what it looks like for someone in a local municipality to solely focus on food work. What I can say is in, for where I live in Forsyth County, food disparity is a huge issue and it's so intersectional. And so I think connecting those dots to different sectors is so important to 
coming up with meaningful outcomes. If you don't have good access to food, you have worse health outcomes. And if you don't have good access to food, you can also have poorer educational outcomes or job opportunities. These things are all interconnected. And so we can't silo ourselves to thinking about it in a one-dimensional way. You have to think really interdimensionally, very intersectionally, if we want to create meaningful outcomes. And working with people in the community, I think is absolutely one, one of the best ways to do that because bringing people to the table and creating innovative solutions are, is really the only real way to make move the needle on these issues because there isn't one answer to hunger and there's not one answer that's going to change the disparities that exist in our community. It won't just be food, it will be all of the above. Thinking about it all together, I think is just the only answer for moving forward. And that is my two cents on what I think if someone were to be considering building these programs within their own governments, that that's a big piece to consider as well as, well, what other resources do we have and how can we connect them together? Yes, I think you make a, a very good point that in cities, in government, the old tradition is that we all work in our separate little corners and thankfully sustainability professionals are trying to break those barriers. Yes, you're absolutely right. There are so many different correlations between all of these indicators um, makes a person or a community thrive or not. Yeah, I'm really relatively new to my role and I'm really relatively new to working in the city. And what is surprising to me and what I hear from a lot of folks as well is that this position really is defined in such a way that it allows you to break down those barriers. There are so many departments that I work with on a week-to-week basis that I think is not typical of government. And so that I think is a huge advantage is to just really try and work to connect with people where they're at and try to sort of move the needle forward on our programs and also just connecting people to see how we can best use our resources and our assets to address the needs of our community as well. Before we part, is there anything you would like to share, an exciting news or a future project? Honestly, one of the biggest projects that I've worked on this year is the Liberty Street Farmers Market. And it's something that I'm excited to see continue again next year. The Liberty Street Market is in its third year of operations, and it was initially started by our Urban Food Policy Council. And after its first year pilot, the city sort of took it on to operationalize it. And The market has not always been the most active. It has gone through sort of different iterations in terms of program design. And, you know, I was new to it this year and seeing it for the first year and learning some of the quirks of the program, I definitely am excited to look forward to next year and sort of have some different input in terms of the program design that I think could really come up with some meaningful results for participation action at the farmer's market. And I think farmer's market, local food is always a solution to food insecurity because a nationalized food system can always have shortcomings. And so we need to learn to rely on what we have here in our community, not only in terms of programs and funding, but in terms of food and food access. And so let's connect those dots. And I'm really excited to see that program grow in the coming years. Fresh food is so important. And also at the farmer's market, you always get that human connection. Oh, absolutely. And I think more connection to what we do here locally and what food is grown locally is always just a better thing for everyone. Mariah, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I also very much enjoyed the opportunity to talk about what we're doing here. While still an emerging field of resilience and sustainability, 
Food security and urban agriculture need to be addressed at the local and regional levels to build thriving communities. And this is an opportunity for cities and counties to demonstrate leadership. We thank Jeolu and Moriah for sharing their experience and our audience for listening to Green Minds, a podcast of SSDN. I'm Catherine Mercier-Baggett, co-hosting with Laura Creech.